You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good evening. My name's uh, Cameron Cole. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the director of Children, Youth, and Family here at the church. I'm glad to be here tonight. Uh, the text for tonight is 1 Corinthians 15, uh, and I'm going to pray for us. Lord God, thank you for your kindness and your mercy. And we pray now, Holy Father, that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Well, in two weeks, I will turn 40 years old. Big 4-0. And a couple of months ago, I set four goals for August 11, which is my birthday. Uh, number one, to weigh 215 pounds. It's not going to happen. Uh, Number two, to swim a 100 butterfly without breaking stroke. Number three, to swim a 100 backstroke and under a 105. That's what I did when I was 16. Hang on, Cameron, hang on. (laughs) And number four, to do a double flip off a diving board. Now, for those of you who are older and wiser and who've gone through some of these age thresholds, uh, you can see right through my list of goals. Uh, There's a lot of tension. On one hand... I'm grateful for the vitality of the life that I have. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm glad that I still like to do playful things like jump off the diving board and try to swim fast and all that. But again, those of you who are older and wiser know the other side of the tension. I am getting older. I'm getting farther and farther away from St. Vincent's Hospital Maternity Ward, August 11, 1979, and I'm getting closer to Elmwood Cemetery. Uh, I am flagrantly resisting the aging process. (laughs) I am resisting the decline of my body, and I am resisting death. There's the tension. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see a text that palpitates with tension. Paul's responding to cynicism and confusion about the resurrection of the dead and the resurrected bodies that come, the second coming of Christ. And some people mock the idea in the church of Corinth Uh, that we would receive new bodies. So Paul is explaining the reality of the new bodies we receive at the resurrection of the dead, and he's explaining the differences between the earthly body and the heavenly body. And as he makes these explanations, it oozes with tension. There's tension between natural realities and supernatural realities. There's tension between our earthly bodies and our heavenly bodies. And there is tension between life and death. So today we're going to look at the tension of 1 Corinthians 15 in three sections, the tension of mystery, the tension of the body, and the tension of life and death. And what we're going to see is that the hope of the resurrection of the body enables us to embrace our lives in the present and enables us to live a life with no fear in death. So first, the tension of mystery. This passage opens with Paul writing in verses 35 and 36, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come, you foolish person? Now, Paul's response initially sounds pretty harsh. sounds somewhat demeaning. You know, how is it that a person in the Bible can call another person a fool? Generally, you see that in the Bible when the author is addressing an audience by calling them foolish, the audience has asked a question with mockery and with condescension. So Paul likely received questions in three different angles on, about the resurrection of the dead. Those of condescension, condescension and mockery those on scientific grounds and those on philosophical grounds. If you, heard, uh, if you heard Matt Schneider's sermon last week, you may remember that the Greek mindset that would have been characteristic of the church in Corinth 
was to believe that the purpose of death was to escape the body. They believed that the flesh and that the body and that matter were bad. It was very confusing to them. The idea that after you died, you would actually get a new body. It was very counterintuitive. So if you've grown up in the church or you've been inundated with Christian theology, it may be helpful to take a step back and just realize what a huge logical leap it is for a non-Christian or for a new Christian to accept the claims of the resurrection of the body. Here's the claim that the New Testament makes about the resurrection of the dead. First, you are born with a body. When you die, your body decomposes, and your soul goes into heaven until the second coming of Christ. And then at the second coming of Christ, you return in your soul to the earth, and the molecules of your earthly body are regathered, reproduced, and you are resurrected as a new, perfect, glorified body. If you're, if you're not a Christian or you're new to Christianity and that seems far-fetched, that is totally fine. Um, this, is what Paul, this is how Paul explains this lofty mystery. He writes in 35 and 38, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So essentially, Paul is making an analogy between our resurrected bodies and seeds that are planted and become plants. He's saying, effectively, a seed is planted, it decomposes, it loses its form, but as it loses its form, it sprouts into a new plant that is greater and grander and loftier than the original seed. A redwood tree will grow to be as high as 100 yards in the air. It can be as wide as 15 feet in diameter. But how does every redwood tree start? It starts as a small seed. And we don't really question the remarkable transformation that occurs from a seed to a plant. And so Paul is saying that so it is with our bodies. When we die, our bodies go to the ground. And then at the second coming of Christ, they, are, they sprout from the ground and become a new glorified heavenly body. In January 2006, my grandmother Bum-Bum, Bum-Bum, good grandmother name, uh, my grandmother Bum-Bum died in Christ. And she died blind due to macular degeneration. She died with no short-term memory due to dementia. She died with no breast. She had two bouts of breast cancer. Uh, and she died with no gallbladder. And she would joke that when she died, if they cut her open, there would be nothing left inside. And so she was cremated, and later that year, her ashes were spread in Pittsburgh, where the Allegheny and the Monongahela rivers come together and form the Ohio River. So the claim we are making is that at the second coming of Christ, my grandmother, Bum-Bum, her molecules will be regathered, and she will be a new, heavenly, glorified body that is spectacular. She will be recognizable. I will know who she is, but she will be different, and she will be heavenly in a physical way. This is the promise for all believers. And what is the ultimate proof that Paul points to for this? What's the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the first fruits, the first down payment of the resurrection of the body. It, is, it points us to what our future is down the road at the second coming of Christ. So Paul explains the logic beneath the mysterious reality of the resurrection of the body. In the next part, Paul will talk about the difference between the earthly body and the heavenly body. So we'll talk about the tension of the body. So first, Paul declares that our heavenly body and our 
uh, that our heavenly body will be different from our earthly body. He writes in verses 39 to 41, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the, glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for the star differs to star in glory. So he's simply making the point that in nature and substance, our heavenly bodies will differ from our earthly bodies. And then he gives four characteristic differences between our heavenly bodies and our earthly bodies. First, he says our earthly bodies are perishable, our heavenly imperishable. So our new bodies will not perish. They will not die. They will not decline. Second, the earthly body is sown in dishonor. The heavenly body is raised in glory. He's not using the word dishonor here in terms of shame. He's not saying that our bodies are bad. But what he is saying is that our bodies fall short of what God originally intended. So with Adam and Eve, on one hand, the body that they had before the fall was greater than what we have today. Our bodies decline as a product of sin, as a product of the fall. On the other hand, the bodies that we will have in glory are vastly different than what we have today. So whether you're looking back or whether you're looking forward, our bodies fall short of what God intended in the past and intends for the future. Number three, the earthly body is sown in weakness. The heavenly body is raised in power. This means that our heavenly bodies will not be susceptible to illness or to pain or to injury. This means no more lower back pain. No more stomach bugs, no more diabetes, no more eczema, no more cancer, no more broken bones, hallelujah. Number four, the earthly body is sown a natural body, the heavenly body is raised a spiritual body. So the earthly body has physical limitations that are confined to this earth. The heavenly body does not. We don't know exactly what that means, but one thing we can look at and point to is after Jesus is raised from the dead, He does crazy things like walk through walls and walk through doors. And so we do not know exactly what the capabilities of our heavenly body will be, but we do know that it will surpass what our earthly bodies can do today. So at every season of life, we all live in conflict with our bodies. When you're a baby or a toddler, you're trying to walk and you keep on falling. When you're a small child, you want to do big kid things, but you're not quite ready. When you're a teenager, and I don't know why this is, but of the 1,000 pimples that you're going to get in your life, 950 of them pop up during your adolescence. God bless you teenagers. We've all been there. When you are about to be 40, you try to do things that you really could only do when you were 16. And when you are elderly, you start to lose some of the functionality of your body. And this can be a very painful and humiliating thing for people. So this conflict with our bodies is a reflection of the tension between our earthly body and our heavenly body. We all live with this innate sense that this body was meant for something more. There was something greater that it was intended for. So two practical points on this. First, there is a strong current in our culture to act as if this is the only body that we will ever inhabit. What I mean by that is there is so much pressure to resist the aging process. There are diets and exercise and GMOs and skin treatments and health and wellness and all these things. And these things are good. Our body is a gift from the Lord. 
to take care of our body is good stewardship of that. And at the same time, we do not have to cling to this body. Like the Lord has another body for us in the future and we can accept the reality of aging. And so I would like to invite everyone to celebrate the fact that while this body is good, God has a better body for you in eternity. I want you to celebrate this by going to the Dairy Queen tonight and buying the most obnoxiously large blizzard that you can find and say, hoorah, this is not it, right? Amen. Second, I want you to notice what Paul has to say about both bodies in verse 40. He says, the glory of the heavenly body is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. Both the heavenly body and the earthly body are glorious and good. No matter how you feel about your body, no matter how ashamed or how dissatisfied you may be, you need to know that God says that your body is glorious and good. No matter what the world says about your body, based on its absolutely absurd standards, you need to know that God says that your body is glorious and good. No matter what someone else has done to your body, the Lord says that your body is glorious and good. And no matter what you may have done to your own body, the Lord says that your body is glorious and good. Why is this? Because the Lord made your body. And when he made it, he said that it was very good. He made it in his image, and that means that it is filled with dignity and glory and goodness. So the tension between our earthly bodies and our heavenly bodies is really a projection of a greater tension. And that is the tension of life and death. And that takes us to our last point. There is a field of science and technology called life extension, which Marcelo Gleiser referred to as the science of trying to beat death. Mark O'Connell wrote a book called Being a Machine with the longest subtitle in the history of the world, Adventures Among Cyborgs, Utopians, Hackers, and the Futurists Who Are Solving the Modest Problem of Death. Former Baseball Hall of Famer Ted Williams, when he died, had his head cut off and had his head and his body placed in separate steel containers and filled with liquid nitrogen just in case human cloning technology advanced to the point that in the future they would be able to revive his body. Now, these are some extreme stories, but they, they demonstrate a clinging to this life. They demonstrate a belief that this is the only life we have to live. And you can see this in, in one of two ways. On one hand, you have this mindset in the culture of FOMO and bucket list. We've just got to pack everything into this, into this life. There's this fear. We've got to do it. Now, on the other hand, you have people who live with this great sense of defeat and regret as they think about the mistakes that they made and, and what could have been. And Paul tells us in verse 45 to 49 that this is faithless thinking that pretends as if Jesus never came to the earth. Verse 45, he says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul is saying that Adam sinned 
And he was destined for nothing but death and judgment. Jesus, the man of heaven, came and lived the perfect life that Adam could not live. He lived the perfect life that we cannot live. And he died a sinner's death. So if you are still only unified with Adam and not the man of heaven, something you have to accept is that this life is as good as it's ever going to get. It's a depressing thought. Even though this life has many blessings, this life is extraordinarily hard. Even the most blessed person with the deepest faith and hope in Christ has many, many days and many, many moments where they long to be delivered from this fallen world and to be placed in glory with their Lord. Now, if you by faith have been united with the man of heaven, Jesus Christ, then this life is as bad as it's ever going to get. It's never going to get worse than this. This is the reality that enables us to appreciate life for what it is and to enjoy it accordingly. This life is but a speck of the eternal bliss that God has in store for you in eternity. The greatest promise of the Christian gospel is that there is no fear in death. There may be some fear in the dying process, but there is no fear in death itself. And the resurrection of the body gives us the concrete substantial assurance that this is true. Later in this chapter, Paul will declare, O death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? He taunts death. He looks down on death. He mocks death. And perhaps the best way for us to enjoy this life to the fullest is to stand upon Jesus and to stand upon the gospel and to declare the defeat and the failure and the impotence of death at the wounded hands of Jesus Christ. Perhaps the best way for us to enjoy this life to the fullest is to stand upon Jesus and to stand upon the gospel and to remember that the Lord has a glorious life in store for us in eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, glorify yourself in us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.